0: Bum bum ba dum, bum bum ba dum, bum 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 ba bum bum ba bum bum ba dum, bum 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 ba bi bum bum ba dum, bum 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 ba dum, bum bum ba dum, bum bum ba bum 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 You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gellickson.
1: I'm Brad Gellickson.
0: And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. This month we're getting kinky in the bedroom with Susie and John from the Image comic series Sex Criminals. And we're applying Mating in Captivity by Dr. Esther Perel to their relationship woes.
1: I might be short, but I'm so wide, so wide that I won't fit inside. Just take your time and gently, soon inside your mouth I'll be.
0: Brad, you Mm. cannot sing that song. That is a dirty, dirty, dirty song. We're trying to keep things PG-13 while we're talking about the hard R rated sex criminal series. So you can't be crooning us with this filth.
1: It's not a dirty song, Lisa. This is just a song about hot dogs. Granted, a very particular and peculiar hot dog, but a hot dog nonetheless.
0: Oh, well, if that's the case, then have at it. You you may continue.
1: I will. (laughs) I'm gonna start from the top again. I might be short, but I'm so wide, so wide that I won't fit inside. Just take your time and gently, soon inside your mouth I'll be wide wieners, wide wieners, stubby, (laughs) jolly, full of mirth, wide wieners, wide wieners. I'm not long, but I have girth. Wide wieners, wide wieners. Wieners aren't one size fits all long, fat, short, bent, big, or small. Just be cool and trust me, chum. I'm a wiener. Made for buns.
0: Made for buns. That's Made how, for buns. That was so wonderful. I added
1: another wide wiener's wide wieners. You
0: can't you can't have too many excited. of those. Honestly, I have not stopped thinking about <laughs> the gastronomical merits. Of a wide wiener sandwich, it's
1: no different than a hot dog gastronomically.
0: Like I'm trying to remove a lot of the, like the meat and the animal products from my diet, so yeah. On its face, like the hot dog idea is not one that right now I'm very much into. But the idea <laughs> of a hot dog being able to fit on a rectangular shape of bread, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I I literally cannot get around it. I, <laughs> It's, I keep thinking it's about just it. A,
1: I'm guessing it's a flatter hot dog. It looks like a hamburger patty, but it's it's sealed like a
0: sausage. Like this guy, Todd Brewbaker, must have invested so much money up front. Because you <laughs> imagine like a sausage, like an extruder
1: uh-huh.
0: <laughs> that is rectangular, like that just straight up doesn't exist. Mm. I wonder if it has that same snap.
1: But here's the question. The snap of a hot dog. The snap of a hot dog, I'm sure it would, I'm sure it would. Would you eat a wide wiener? Would you put it in your mouth?
0: Well, since I'm trying to avoid animal products, no. No, But if it was some kind of (laughs) tofu-related wide wiener, I guess I would be into it. But the thing is, the best thing about a hot dog in a hot dog bun, is the snappy hot dog and the softness of a bun. So not only would I want, like, if I have a wider wiener, I would also want a bigger, wider bun. Mm, well,
1: I, I uh, yeah, I think you, yeah, yeah, you'd get it. You'd get a wide bun.
0: Yeah, and I would put sauce all over that thing. Oh,
1: I know you would, I know you would. <laughs> Just a little mustard for me, thank you very much. Mm, spicy. Uh, but all this wide wiener talk has me hungry. Uh, Lisa, do you have a wide wiener that I could chow down on right now?
0: I do not have a wide wiener. I have a very standard but proud wiener.
1: Oh, okay. All right. Well, I guess I won't have it. That's a real bummer. Uh, I guess that means we got to get on with the show.
0: Yes, please.
1: So our sex criminal episodes have been quite popular, and we seriously appreciate hearing from all of you listeners out there. It really does mean the world to us. You guys have no idea.
0: We got another really lovely iTunes review this week. This five star rating comes from Daryl Leaked eighty eight. That sounds like a dirty name. Doesn't it sound like a dirty name? <laughs> a little name, bit. Red? A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I would like not want to leak my Daryl anywhere.
0: <laughs> my Daryl.
1: Yeah. My <laughs> Daryl. Yeah. Don't leak my Daryl. <laughs> I
0: was out in public. I was having a perfectly fine day, but then my Daryl leaked. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Still
1: good. Still good.
0: And it is titled. The review is titled "The Married Life." It reads. I read a lot of comic books, and I admit part of the reason I love it is fictional relationships. Comic book couples counseling does a fantastic job of focusing on the premise, from sex criminals to superheroes. The hosts have great chemistry together, and the conversations are really easy to listen to. Anyone interested in hearing more on comics, relationships, or both needs to listen and subscribe.
1: Yeah, thanks, Derelict88. Thank
0: you so much. Brad, we have chemistry.
1: We do have chemistry. Thank goodness. Oh, that's not chemistry.
0: Sparks are. No, that's chemistry. We're good. Spark, sparks. Well,
1: what are you talking about? I'm trying, I'm trying to move on with this show, Lisa.
0: I'm so sorry.
1: No, you're right. It's a good thing we have chemistry. Uh, we're married. That's right. We have right. a podcast venture. Mm-hmm. But none of that chemistry matters If people aren't reviewing it on iTunes.
0: You make an excellent point. It's not about the spark spark. It's about the stars stars. Yeah, yeah. Five stars to be exact on iTunes for
1: us. We've gathered a lot of really great reviews on iTunes, and it has pushed us higher into the conversation of comic book podcasts, and we really appreciate it. But keep sharing this show with your friends. Let everybody know we want to take over the world with our chemistry.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Anyway, we got to get into this thing. Uh, Sex Criminals Volume 4. We've been doing this for a couple weeks, and now we are hitting some really rocky times for Susie and John.
0: Don't I know it.
1: Don't you know it. Uh, But, Lisa, as you said at the top, we are using Esther Perel's mating in captivity. How are you going to use this relationship guru to get us through these traumatic and difficult times for our happy couple
0: I got to tell you, Brad, I'm reading these books in real time. I'm reading Sex Criminals for the first time. I'm reading Mating in Captivity chapter by chapter for the first time. And honestly, I'm having a hard time relating Sex Criminals to Dr. Esther Perel's Mating in Captivity. That's interesting. Because their relationship sexually always seems to be growing great.
1: Yeah, 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 they yeah. They have
0: no problem communicating through sex. It's the all of the other relationship stuff that they're having an impossible time with, especially in this volume.
1: And that's a little bit different than how we were feeling after volume one, right? I remember talking to you about mating in captivity on one of our walks. You were saying like, this is the perfect book for sex criminals.
0: That's right. I was like, I am so smart. My very light (laughs) Google research is clearly enough, (laughs) but maybe you can help me. I'll try. Relate these chapters to volume four of Sex Criminals. Dr. Esther Perel is a world-renowned psychologist and couples therapist, and in her book, Mating in Captivity, Unleashing Erotic Intelligence, she explores why... In committed, long-term relationships where the couple is still very much in love, the sex sometimes dries up. Dr. Perel feels that we, as Americans specifically, have societal barriers that are blocking us from having fully realized, satisfying sex lives. And in chapters 3 through 6, she outlines a few of these hurdles— I haven't read ahead, but it seems like solutions don't really start until, like, chapter seven. And chapter nine seems to be about the sexual downsides of parenthood, so we know I'm going to be super into that. (laughs) The first hurdle. Talk is not the only avenue to closeness. So it seems like at the end of every episode... We look at each other and go, like, this couple, this couple should just talk more. Yeah,
1: communication. Communication communication. is everything.
0: But intimacy and talk is not the be-all and end-all to relationships, according to Dr. Perel. Intimacy has become more and more important the harder it is to get in a relationship. It used to be in families, everybody would live multiple generations in the same home and you would have intimacy with everyone because everyone was literally on top of each other. But nowadays people are living further, af- further and further apart. Intimacy used to come from hanging out all day and plowing the land together, but now it is measured verbally by how much we disclose. Olden days, olden times, women were expected to just deal with unhappy marriages for economic reasons.
1: Right, right.
0: Marriages were about, we have this woman to support. She'll make babies in exchange for the man working. The I, I imagine some kind of blacksmithing. I have no <laughs> idea
1: what people did in olden times. Yeah, he's on the plow. He's in the land. He's working the land. She's breeding his army to work the land aside him.
0: Exactly. But now that women have reached some kind of equality economically, we Mm. expect more out of a relationship, specifically more talk. Dr. Purwell calls this the feminization of intimacy (laughs) and puts and it puts standardly socialized men at a disadvantage Because of men's verbal disadvantage, they tend to use body language as their form of intimacy and connection, but adherents of talk intimacy have a hard time giving sex full intimacy credit. Talk intimacy can become a form of coercion, and one partner can feel entitled to the other partner's every thought. There is a form of forced reciprocity. Last week, we talked about how partners still have to be separate Mm -hmm. to make a connection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And personal boundaries are necessary for eroticism. So this idea of I need to know everything that you're thinking and you need to know everything that I'm thinking acts counter to that.
1: So what you're saying is because we've been married for 10 years and I know every facet of your being and you know every facet of my being, there's, there's no uh, sexual chemistry going forward.
0: If we become one thing, uh-huh. we can't connect, therefore we can't be erotic.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've challenged that idea in previous episodes.
0: To me, I feel like I feel like I'm discovering new things about myself all of the time. You're discovering new things about yourself all the time. And we do connect over that growth. I think that sure. it's just like you have to, in a relationship, you have to maintain this idea. There, There is always room for growth.
1: Yeah. And there's so many stories that you've forgotten about yourself that then will like, uh, pop in your head like a light bulb occasionally and you'll share like an incident from your elementary school uh, in third grade and I'll be like, wow that's that's a wild, weird side of Lisa I never even imagined.
0: That being said, there are times where I'll go like, man, I haven't thought about this in so many years and I tell you the story about uh, Neil in my preschool sticking his finger in his yeah, ear yeah. and then sticking it in my face, but you're already going like, I've heard this story, Lisa. <laughs> I've heard this story about Neil sticking his grease <laughs> The ear finger in your face like a thousand times.
1: Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true.
0: <laughs> but I don't think that we can ever truly become one person because I feel myself changing every day. Well,
1: it goes back to what we were saying last week uh, in response to Anna Kincaid's speech, you know, there is no normal because the idea of normal is constantly changing. The The idea of self is constantly changing, exactly. right? So who I am today is not who I'm going to be tomorrow, who's not who I was when I was in third grade, having Neil stick a finger in my ear.
0: <laughs> that was my ear, Brad. Uh, we are not one person. You get the gist. So we've nailed this hurdle, haven't we, Brad?
1: Yes, hurdle. High five.
0: High five. That was some fully art because I can't reach across the table. I have little <laughs> lady arms. Okay, hurdle number two. Sexual desire and good citizenship don't play by the same rules. The poetics of sex are often politically incorrect, thriving on power plays, role reversals, unfair advantages, imperious demands, seductive manipulations, and subtle cruelties. She uses the example of Elizabeth and Vito, who have a modern, equitable marriage, but she likes submission in the bedroom. Mm. Dr. Esther Perel thinks that some therapists would admonish her predilection because she is acting out a traditional male domination and the act in and of itself is sexist. But Dr. Perel makes the point that prisoners rarely have the desire to pretend to be prisoners. Okay. I also have issues with that metaphor. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So this entire chapter, I think this was chapter 4 or 5. I'm not going to look at I'm not going to open my book and look.
1: It doesn't matter, Lisa. Don't it, get hung up on the details.
0: I shan't. But it's a chapter about how a woman can be equitable in her marriage and submissive in the bedroom and that the bedroom is a place where she can the the only reason she can act this out is because she doesn't feel it in her real life. Like it wouldn't be a it's, fun fantasy for her if it was her regular right, thing. The,
1: the word being fantasy and, and bedroom is a realm of fantasy.
0: Exactly. I do not buy into the idea of kinks or sexual fantasies always have to do with something that you're not, necessarily getting in your regular life like i think that she could be dominant in her regular life a real ceo and um running her household like a tight ship but and still be dominant in the bedroom as well to me it has more to do with try to (laughs) Uh uh-oh I say communication is key. Why not talk more? (laughs) If there's something you want in the bedroom, that should be a place, as long as you're not hurting anybody, that is more or less judgment-free. And we shouldn't be bogging ourselves down with necessarily where our kink comes from or why we want it. Just go, like, does it hurt anybody? And then if the answer is no and your partner's into it, just do it.
1: My issue with mating in captivity as, again, we've said this already in our sex criminal series, is that these scenarios that she has created really feel like metaphors, and it doesn't feel like hard evidence.
0: I, like, if she came to me with a statistic that was like, you know, 78% of dominant wives- And we
1: got those statistics from a study. Like, uh, give me studies.
0: Exactly. Not, you know,
1: case files, uh, you know, from the basement of your office.
0: Right. Then, then maybe I'd go like, okay, she's really getting at something. But this might have to do with the next hurdle. Oh, okay. So the next hurdle is the Protestant work ethic does not work in the bedroom. Explain. Dr. Perrell sees Americans as goal oriented and preoccupied with the crunching of the numbers. We want steps. We want, va- like, we want to see the value of something. If we are in a situation with a perceived good result, it's because we feel like we worked hard to get that good result. So, you and I, we have a great sexual chemistry and a wonderful relationship. So, obviously, we think. We worked hard to get what we have. If you're in a disappointing situation, for example, maybe you're not getting the sex that you expected. Maybe you're feeling underwhelmed in your relationship. It's because you're lazy and you didn't work hard enough. Hmm. We Americans like to address problems with steps, and we like measurable results and that's what you and i are asking for we're going esther perel i hear your argument where are the numbers Uh 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 and that's how we look at everything but approaching sex with a can-do attitude reduces sexuality to a function and the lack of sexuality to a dysfunction so if you're having sex and you're liking it you're doing everything right. If you're not having sex or you're having sex that you're not enjoying, that is reduced to a dysfunction. It reduces a lack of sex to a problem with our genitals and not a problem with our brains, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why Viagra, like guys are going like, I'm not getting the sex I want, my dick is not replying and responding in the way that I want, so I'm going to need a pill. Clearly this is a medical issue. And according to Esther Perel, they're still like stomping the fields looking for the female Viagra. Personally, I don't think anybody is looking after women's sexual health. That's just my thought. Anyway,
1: where's my study? Esther where's Perel? my study?
0: I want to see the numbers. But it makes sex that idea of sex that it's either a function or dysfunction makes sex something mechanical and not expressible. So sex is not something you do, like, I guess, like taking a poop or (laughs) having breakfast. Generally, I don't know, that's revealing. Maybe I do it in that order. But but it's not, this is one of the myriad of ways I'm telling you that I love you. I'm telling you that I enjoy your company. I'm telling you that I am fulfilled by you. So she encourages us to look at sex as a paradox to manage. You know, like, I want security from you, but I also want our f- sex to feel dirty and dangerous and blah, blah, you gotta blah. You got to talk
1: it out. Communication.
0: And not a functional problem to solve. And I've, I find that idea helpful. Sex
1: is not broken. It needs to be t- um, coddled.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, like- Curated. I'm not feeling aroused, like clearly something's wrong with my pussy. No, it's just like, I'm not ready to express this. What can, what can get me to that place where I can make this expression?
1: You're venturing into hard R language, Lisa.
0: What? Expression? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the last hurdle. And I think this is a big one. Mm. And I think that this is something that maybe I deal with. I don't know. Sexual ambivalence has been trained into us as Americans since our youth. We are all screwed by the way we were taught about sex. So sex is something, is taught in two ways. It's taught as something that we should avoid because it it will get you pregnant, Mm. it will get you diseased, and you will burn in hell. But also, Mm. it is the most special thing that you can give to another person and you should only give it to somebody you love. Yeah, it's
1: my special flower.
0: So (laughs) we all get a taste of the Puritanical upbringing, some of us more than others, but it is part of our nation's heritage as descendants of Puritans. And it is a huge hurdle to get over. Like is sex dirty, dirty, dirty bad times? And we're naughty, naughty people. Or is sex this ultimate unity between the two people who God has joined together and may never divide Uh so that we can all make little soldiers, Uh Uh little baby soldiers to march in God's Mm -hmm. army? Mm -hmm. The result is American sexual ambivalence. We don't know where to place it. So we talk about it all of the time and say nothing about it. Uh, Yeah. So we have TV shows where, like, let's look at the horror genre, for example. TV shows where teenage girls have sex and then they're immediately murdered. Or let's think of, hmm, what's another example?
1: Well, you know, you walk into a grocery store and you look at all the magazines and they're all screaming sex at you. Right. Yeah. Right. But, you know, all at the same time, we're like, you know.
0: Let's-, let's not talk about it, but let's watch it all of the time
1: right, you know, uh, masturbation is something that is in private and everyone does and uh, we don't, you know, we don't address it with anybody. And
0: then when somebody tells us making direct eye contact with us that they masturbate, we go, ew. Disgusting. Gross. Don't tell me about it. Thank you. But actually, Brad, don't tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. Thank you, my love.
1: Even though, Lisa, your refusal of hearing my masturbation stories <laughs> only highlights what's wrong with this country.
0: I am the first to admit that my upbringing yeah, yeah. has majorly screwed me over sexually. Well, we
1: started this series with you going on about how you were prude and sex criminals is uh, makes you uncomfortable.
0: I, uh, I was raised in an abstinence-only household. It was opted out of sex ed from my public school. This is
1: one of the stories that I already know Uh, and all our listeners know, Lisa. And
0: I just had to learn (laughs) stuff on the mean streets.
1: (laughs) But that's what I love about sex criminals from Fraction Zadarsky. It is, you know, poking in the eye of this repression. It's saying, like, let's get over ourselves.
0: I think that that is true. But we also do see characters with major sexual hurdles. Like we've already talked a little bit about- Yeah, Robert Rainbow. And I think in this particular volume, Anna, with her particular history, entering into a relationship with someone she knows, knows that history, a fan of her her pornography, but also knows her as an academic and trying to figure out what kind of sex that makes. I find that I think that there's still a lot to talk about oh, of in course. this comic.
1: So let's get into it. Sex Criminals Volume Four, also known as Four G, uh, issues sixteen through twenty by Fraction and Zadarski, published between February and August of 2017. Uh, Between this volume and the last one, there was a 10-month break between issues.
0: Yowza. That's
1: a lot of time between comics, but not that unfamiliar to those who follow the Image Comics model. Uh, You know, we're currently in a a big drought of saga comics, and it's killing me.
0: It's the comics equivalent of edging. Uh,
1: Yes, uh, I like that metaphor, Lisa.
0: Sting would be into it, that's all I'm saying. (laughs) He likes image comics. What
1: I appreciate about it is it keeps a team together. Yeah. You know, as much as I love Marvel comics and DC comics, because they are on a monthly schedule or sometimes a bi weekly schedule, uh, they have to crank out the comics. And that means artists have to dip in and out. And it it, it creates a, a frustrating reading experience sometimes. Now, with Sex Criminals, the frustration is it's been 10 months between these two volumes and right now, you know, Volume 5 has ended and we're still waiting for Volume 6 to pick up, just like we're waiting for Saga to pick back up. Yes, that's a frustration, but I'd rather have that wait than have another artist with Fraction on this book.
0: But it does laugh in our faces, all of us who went through the school system and people telling us... Deadlines are going to be important (laughs) when you're a grown up. You're going to just have to turn your work in or Uh, the man will fire you. I was
1: just watching a documentary on Jack Kirby and it's talking about like the six comics that he was writing or illustrating in a month Mm -hmm. uh, on top of plotting like – that's insane by today's standards. So yes. yes, there there has been a shift on what we uh, expect and anticipate as both a reader and a creator. It's fascinating, uh, but that's neither here nor there. Let's let, let's like we're Let's get into Volume Four. Let's get into 4G. Let's put let's get down. Yes. Here's the basic synopsis, courtesy of Goodreads. Everybody's favorite sex having time freezing bank robbing crew, a lovable love misfits, come together and ask themselves the big question. Are we still into this? The answer might surprise you, if you think the answer is no. Part romance, part sex comedy, and part heist drama, Sex Criminals manages to turn a story about two lovers who rob banks with orgasms into the most emotionally realistic and relatable sex comic ever made. Once again, Lisa, these synopses are really... Not doing the book any justice. They're still talking about bank robberies. Do
0: they even rob one bank in this volume? No,
1: they do not. Uh, This is the team book. Like Everyone has come together in the last three volumes, and now we're in volume four, and it's time to get down to business, and it's not a heist story at all.
0: It's a a conspiracy story more than anything else.
1: Yes, and And, a crime story and a love story.
0: And for John and Susie, it's a coming apart story, not a coming together story. Yeah,
1: but who cares about these Goodreads uh, plot synopses? I do. I feel
0: injustice is happening. No,
1: Lisa. Our (laughs) listeners have us. It's our job to take them through the book.
0: Let's do it. All
1: right, where do you want to start?
0: I think we should start at the diner. At the beginning of this volume with Alex and Doug.
1: Right, because the last issue saw Doug storming into their apartment, popping John in the face and saying, you know, what are you guys doing? You're messing up everything. And now we have a debrief.
0: That's right. And Alex is saying, like, you just have to stop getting involved with the sex police situation because every time you poke them, they, they take it out on me. They, they poke back. Exactly. And uh, it's interesting because Alex sees right through John and goes like, I don't think you want to, I don't think you have a solution to this at all. I think that you just like antagonizing people.
1: Yeah, because he's the antagonizer, right? He doesn't like others antagonizing him. He feels that he's being attacked and that's his job.
0: Right. And Alex is like, Myrtle Spurge cross crosses her T's and dots her I's and there is no evidence <laughs> of her ever doing anything illegal. Meanwhile, yeah what what you're doing, we could all do a hard time. Yeah,
1: and already the sex police have completely destroyed aspects of their lives. You right. know, they flex their muscles. John and Susie can't. They are limp noodles. They don't have the muscle mass at all compared to the sex criminals.
0: Oh man, you are so right. I love how Dave and Anna are just like in the next booth
1: yeah. and
0: Dave has just tried to like put things together. Like
1: He still know. doesn't know about the time stopping and all that stuff.
0: And he won't for this entire volume and it's so cute.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and so that leads John to go off in a huff You know, I thought at the end of the last volume that the team would be coming together and we'd be like, "All right, it's mission time. Let's take on the sex criminals." And that's not what Four G is at all.
0: Right. So John just goes like, "You know, I'm not going to be the kind of person who just lies down for Spurge." And then (laughs) he he storms out, and Susie is like having to follow after him. And then the argument that they have, I feel like we see the crux of everything that eventually breaks them up.
1: Mm. Can I just say that Lie Down for Spurge is my new album? (laughs) Uh, It'll be coming out in the fall.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What's What's your punk rock band name?
1: Um... Oh, uh, come world. I don't know. I can't think of it. I can't think of it. That's, that's too much pressure, Lisa.
0: Doc Glass and the homunculi.
1: Ooh, the scale.
0: Ooh. So the argument they have is essentially Susie going like, you're going off half cocked all of the time and I'm being left to like apologize after you and, and I'm left holding the bag. And he agrees with her right away.
1: Yes, and then that starts to lead into a conversation that she's afraid is going to be, I love you, because he's accidentally said that in the past volume. And while he's stuttering on the word I, you know, I dot, 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 she goes, please don't say I love you, please don't say I love you, please don't say I love you. And he says, I just really need to go to bed. Right. Now, the question becomes, why is she terrified of the three words, I love you, at this point in the story?
0: I think it goes back to her parents and her mother being so utterly destroyed when her father died. Right. Because her mother very clearly loved her father. And when her dad died suddenly, her life was destroyed. She became an alcoholic. She stopped taking care of Susie, who still very much needed her mother's love.
1: Loss is transformative, and grief is not something that you shed in a day, a year, or a life.
0: Brad, do you remember the first time you said, I love you, to me?
1: (laughs) I was wondering if you were going to bring this up, and I was a little nervous that you were going to bring it up. Um, Yeah, of course I remember the first time I said, I love you. I said it by accident. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like John <laughs> in, in some ways. Uh, it was like what? Our third date? Our fourth date?
0: I think for the sake of narrative, yeah, our third or fourth date. It was super soon. It
1: was very, very early in our dating relationship. Uh, I You were living at your folks' house still, mm-hmm. and I was dropping you off, and we had pulled into your parents' driveway, and you opened the door to say goodnight, and I said, I love you. And <laughs> you were like, oh, I I love you, too. Yeah. And then you closed the door, and then I sat in the car in silence for what felt like an eternity. It probably was only like five, ten seconds. And then I drove home, and uh, the entire car ride home, I was like, you dumb... Bastard. Why did you say that? Why did you say that? But she also weirdly said I love you back. I did. Is that true? What is happening? I
0: did out of weird social pressure. I'm not gonna say that it wasn't true because obviously like we're together, but I did go like That's a that, lot. That's that's weird. <laughs> that's a weird thing to say. But your family is different than mine. Like
1: your, We end all conversations yeah. with I love you. Like I don't hang up the phone on my mom or dad without saying, uh, take care, I love you.
0: And I didn't start saying I love you to my parents until they noticed that I was starting to say I love you to boyfriends. Oh, really? Yeah, and then we started saying I love you on the phone, but we still don't do it every single time. I notice. So <laughs> so we're not we're not I was not in the habit of saying I love you.
1: Yeah. And casually. my my family encouraged me to use the word love. Uh, not just in familial relationships, but in friend relationships. Like to admit that you love another person, you would you love your friends, you love your family. Oh, that's interesting. You love the people in your area. Of course, that is not common. And if you tell your buddy, Steve, I love you, <laughs> it's even more weird than like uh, saying I love you to Lisa on your third date.
0: That being said, though, I did say I love you to boyfriends kind of easy. Hmm.
1: Well, that doesn't make me feel good. I'm
0: so sorry, but <laughs> but like to me, it's I I think that it had to do with like my settle down, sure, ra- being being raised to settle down, and so I think whomever I was just <laughs> also makes next me feel to, great, Lisa. <laughs> whoever I was heading next to, I'm just like, let's start settling down, and and uh, some were more receptive to it than others, but to Susie, it seems to be. Like this huge deal. It seems to be like a contract.
1: Right. Well, that then leads into a conversation about, well, let's put a list together. Uh, What do we want to accomplish in life as a couple? And John, being the guy that he is, does not want to put anything down on paper and is really combative towards the idea.
0: Well, it goes back to his defiance disorder. Like, As soon as he makes plans, like, he's not going to want to do those plans. Right. But I think she's super cute when it comes to, like, taking the markers out and and really encouraging him to take this step with her, but also take this step with himself.
1: Well, the idea is he said, I love you once, and it was weird, and she wants to figure out if this is a viable relationship or a viable long-term relationship. And the idea of putting down long-term goals to accomplish together, yeah, that's the contract that you're saying. That's like saying, oh, if we can accomplish these little things, we can accomplish a life together.
0: Exactly. Like having shared goals is a prerequisite for love.
1: Yeah. And if John and Susie are going to work though, like they're both going to compromise on those ideas, right? Like John's never going to be full on, you know, uh, uh, post-it notes, uh, task-oriented guy, but he has to come and appreciate that side of Susie's personality. And Susie has to realize that he's, he's if he's even trying, that means a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, it goes back to like his upbringing and how undervalued he felt by his parents. So he sees himself as somebody who's not worth making plans for.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of self-loathing going on with John, as we know.
0: The way Susie ropes John eventually into getting down with the markers and creating some charts and graphs and making goals.
1: Getting down.
0: Was uh, to strip make goals. (laughs) So she would make a goal and then take off an article of clothing. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he first. would make a goal, and she'd take off an article of clothing, yeah. and then she would make a goal, and he would take off an article of clothing. And his first goal, I think, we do have to say, is you. Like yeah. his priority in life is, like, I the one thing I know that I want is that we're together.
1: Well, it, yeah, he, he's being cheeky. He's meaning sex. I want to do you.
0: I think but, it means more than that. But
1: it does mean more than that. Yeah, like you, you know, she is his goal in life right now.
0: You and I, we're not particularly, like, I don't consider myself a goal-oriented person. What about you?
1: No, I mean, I think we're the type of uh, couple, type of humans that find themselves with assignments Mm -hmm. and go, oh, we've got a lot of stuff to do before this date, and we got to accomplish them. But it's not like we look at our year and go all right well we need to save money to get a house mm-hmm. we're terrible at that i can tell you <laughs> uh we need to save money because we want to go to england how are we going to get to england how are we going to get to australia or wh- wherever like we f- tend to go well we go to comic-con every year so we're going to go to comic-con every year
0: <laughs> yeah no we're we're both very much like let's do what's in front of us yeah. and then we keep our heads down and then we look up and we go like hey we're in a completely different place yeah. than where we were yeah yeah that's true but oh like over the course of our relationship we started just inventing goals together that that we share like this podcasting thing we're doing yeah. this is certainly moving in a direction of how we want to live creatively and, and
1: it took a year of conversation before we launched CBCC.
0: Right. But we had already been doing it mod together mm-hmm. like we've art like by going to cons it started making us go like I I really want to write again.
1: Yep, that's true.
0: And then so like we're more like just making plans as we go and just going like hey, look where we ended up.
1: Yeah, that's that's that yeah, agreed, agreed, agreed.
0: The only other thing that happens in this issue is that Kegelface calls the university and gets Anna Kincaid fired. Yeah.
1: Still flexing those muscles.
0: I'm shocked that the university didn't know, considering like Jasmine St. Cocaine is like this huge, well-known porn star.
1: I think she did a pretty good job of not sharing that. And, you know, Anna has uh, radically altered her life to, to, um,
0: that people wouldn't presume that the super intelligent professor well, is yeah, a porn star. Yes,
1: but she's compartmentalized everything, right? Like yeah. she has very actively found her way into this new role, and when you do that, uh, you know you set up a front that you know people don't people don't question.
0: But literally every dude she bumps into knows exactly who she is, and I don't know why the the dean of the college would not know who Uh, she was. I
1: think that's a writing thing, and that's a convenience thing, Lisa.
0: I think maybe he did know, but Myrtle Spurge was posing as a parent, as a litigious parent, Mm -hmm. so maybe he was like, ugh, I knew I was going to have to do this eventually, and now it's happening. You're on administrative Uh, That could very well be.
1: Uh, But let's get into the next issue, issue 17, the issue that I was really looking forward to this week. Uh, It is done in the style of Criminal by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Uh, It is a parody of that wonderful series focusing on Myrtle Spurge investigating the criminal, the sex criminal known as the Skell.
0: Yes, I googled what the skell is.
1: What's a skell, Lisa? It's a
0: vagrant. A vagrant. Like, it doesn't sound, like, skell sounds like something really terrible, but it's just like a homeless dude.
1: Yeah, and is this guy a homeless dude? Because he has his own business. He runs and operates the wide wiener truck, Mm -hmm. which apparently every child on the planet needs a wide wiener, because whenever the wide wiener song plays from the truck... Kids turn into the zombies from Twenty Eight Days Later <laughs> and go wild for wide wieners. I loved that as a joke. It's super silly, a dub, but I was really laughing. And the fact that this issue not only like parodies it in you know a concept and investigation and whatnot, but the you know the scale is named Todd Brubaker. Yeah, uh, and the art is actually colored by the fade out fatal colorist. Uh, Elizabeth, and I'm going to butcher her last name here. I apologize. But Elizabeth Brightwiser. And when you turn the page from issue 16 into 17, that color does slap you in the mm-hmm. face. And it's like, as a fan of the Brubaker comics, it's really inviting and warm. And I love it.
0: I I knew when, uh, when I turned that page and I saw what this was, I'm like, Brad is going to. Cream is dreams. <laughs> yeah, and I did.
1: <laughs> but let's talk about the skull because the skull has uh, a sex power as well, and it's a weird one. And we actually saw a little bit of it in the last volume, and we weren't even sure. We thought that Rach was just stepping on a sex toy yeah, that like, was awkward I, looking.
0: I thought that it was like, oh, well, we know that this, the sex police meet at this particular mall place. Yeah. So I was like, it must be one of their things.
1: Yeah, but no, it's a homin... Oh, I can never say this word. Homunculus? Hom- ha- homin-
0: homunculus.
1: Homunculus. Thank you, Lisa. Homunculus. It's a homunculus that is produced from his body after he
0: orgasms. <laughs> And I forget I didn't write it in my notes the name like but it's like a brain map of which or a body map of the places that have the most
1: sensitivity.
0: Sensitivity and it's so the the penis is like huge yeah. and the hands are like
1: large yeah the yeah, the uh, the uh, which they call the little man uh has a very large penis, very large hands and huge lips and is comically uh, uh, delightful, like I, I love him. I want a plushie. I want an action figure.
0: I love that. Like Myrtle Spurge is like he. There is no way this guy intentionally made it to be <laughs> this map. But then later, when he's talking to John, he's like, clearly, it is a sensory map. Yes, like yeah, yeah, he yeah. hyper intellectualized his little clay little dudes.
1: So why is Myrtle Spurge investigating the scale Why does she care about this guy?
0: We learn a little bit more in this volume exactly what the sex police's motivation Mm -hmm. is because in previous volumes, it has been completely unclear. Yeah, like
1: what is this organization? How large is this organization? But I guess it's just these three people.
0: Yeah, yeah, it seems to be. And their modus operandi is keep the people who have this sex power under control because as soon as the regular world finds out about it, then they're going to want to commodify it. They're going to want to- Cut
1: us open. Study
0: us and and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is actually kind of a worthy cause. Yeah,
1: and totally logical. Yeah. And not as uh, bizarre as I thought it was when we read that first issue way back when.
0: Yep. But uh, I think we get to see a little bit more into Myrtle Spurge's self-loathing because she is super kink shamey. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she she's telling the story of how Brew Baker got his his particular power, is that he developed a kink for his mother stepping on his toys.
1: Yeah, I love this.
0: And um, she says, like every parent
1: ruins their kids. Yeah,
0: every parent, one way or another, gives their kids some kind of weird sexual hang up.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what does that say about her? Like like you come away from this issue realizing two things. One, Myrtle Spurge ain't all that bad. And two, she's going to play a much larger role in this series as one of the gang.
0: Yes. This issue ends with the sex police threatening Todd Brew Baker, going like, stop doing what you're doing. Stop leaving your little, <laughs> little squishy <man>. clues everywhere <laughs> and, because we're taking a bunch of illegal sexual photographs, and we're putting them in the cloud. And as soon as you get out of line, we're going to Upland. blackmail you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, and they walk away and then John walks up and he's like, hey, you, how do you know Myrtle Spurge?
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: So he has, despite what he has said to Susie that he's not gonna be involved with the sex <laughs> police, he's totally still involved and he's doing a little investigating of his own.
1: Yeah, he's got a few things uh, going on behind Susie's back, I think, because he's also partaking in a play about President Taft.
0: I found this whole storyline with John going back to work as an actor totally confusing because I can't tell if it's actually happening or not, or if it's just some kind of fantasy or dream.
1: So in issue 16 in the apartment, we see a poster for Taft on their wall and it's done in the Hamilton style. And you go, oh, that's a funny little gag by Chip Zdarsky. And I have a feeling, and I could be totally wrong, that Matt Fraction's looking at the art coming back, and he sees this Taft poster (laughs) and goes, that's hilarious. I want to incorporate a Taft-Hamilton musical into my comic by bringing John into the role of President Taft. But then the insane thing is the film is being, or the play is being directed by a guy who looks like George Lucas, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't think that Taft is bringing in the audience that it deserves. So he incorporates a version of The Incredible Hulk with the Taft musical. Well,
0: no, he's part of a theater troupe, and the troupe is doing two plays.
1: And and they, but they merge the two of them. Yeah, right, eventually. At, at, at a certain point. And then there's like this whole sequence later on in the volume where John is imagining having conversations with his co-star of the Taft Hulk, and he's all purple. And it's just really wild and out there. And and I thought they had toned down a little bit uh, of, of all their, you know, um, by they, I mean, Zadarsky and Fraction's like wacky hijinks after their three pages of ranting about the argument in the last volume where Chip Zadarski and Fraction are characters arguing about, What's actually happening in the scene, and I know that really frustrated you, and then that had kind of disappeared for a few issues, and then now we're having this conversation with the Purple Hulk Taft creature, and it was just a little too much for me. To
0: me, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the side of the play and the theater troupe is kind of a fantasy because after so we have the first Taft rehearsal where he is in costume and. Uh, George Lucas is like, something in this scene is missing. And then John is thinking to himself, something's missing, something's missing. So there's like kind of a, a symbolism in there. Yeah. And then yeah. on the very next page, he said he had a weird dream. Yeah. And then when he when we flash forward to the rehearsal where they have merged the two plays, uh, and then he finishes the scene by walking out of that rehearsal with Hulk, with the Hulk, Hulk.
1: they they call him something else, but yeah.
0: Yeah. um, He goes like, get out of my head. So I'm like, is this all happening in John's head? I don't know. Uh,
1: And I think that just goes back to what we've talked about in previous episodes, how at times the cutesiness of the fourth wall breaking uh, and the disturbances of reality, um, bring into question the narrative itself. And and, and it, maybe it's just a Brad problem, but uh, I I find it frustrating when the tangent is this, this type of wackadoo weirdo thing and I don't know where it exists in reality.
0: But I think there is an interesting parallel between him being an actor and him being in this relationship with Susie going like, what is my motivation? Hmm. What is my motivation to be with Susie? What is my motivation to continue living? Well,
1: those scenes certainly push him forward in the narrative. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know if I like them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> to me, I just forget them. Like when, Well, when I just want to get things-
1: back to the plot yeah. and the character. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I'm sure somebody who loves the Taft Hulk thing goes, Brad, that is the plot and character, and fine, okay.
0: <laughs> Issue 18 starts with John bringing home little pink bags from the (laughs) sex shop. Uh Uh-huh. And I think he's feeling a little guilty about lying to Susie, so he's making up for it with all of these gifts. And at first, she's like, sure, yeah, we can can try out this little gift. Um,
1: Yeah, it's cute, it's fun, look at this adorable guy.
0: So they have sex, presumably using this gift, And then while they're laying there in the quiet, John asks if there's anything else that she would like to do sexually. And she says no, but But, thinks yes. mm -hmm. And then she ping pongs the question back to him and he says no, but he also thinks yes.
1: Yeah, and this goes back to something that we've talked about multiple times in our CBCC conversations. You need to be open about what you want in the bedroom.
0: But I don't, like, my issue is that the best time to talk about your sex life... Is not after is sex. It's not right after, yeah. not in your, <laughs> while you're in the bliss of your refractory period. A, a, a,
1: agreed, 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 yeah, yeah. You know, like, don't even, don't even bring up, like, oh, I hope it was good for you. Just be confident in that it was good.
0: Yeah, Brad and, uh, <laughs> like, Brad and I always end with compliments back and forth (laughs) (laughs) that was amazing oh you were great and then and then we it's true and then the next day we're like hey remember what we did yesterday high fives (laughs) high fives high fives
1: (laughs) oh god yay sex criminals this has been a fun series
0: meanwhile anna is out of a job and she needs cash Mm -hmm. so she notices that there is a porn convention coming to town, and so we see her going through the process of calling up Creepy Neil and going, like, "Do you, can I get a table, and then going through all of her props and costumes. But the entire time she's doing this, she's thinking in the back of her head, like, don't think about him, don't think about him, don't think about him. So she eventually ends up at the porn convention. Before
1: we get there, can sure. I just acknowledge that one page like this massive page of micro panels of Anna putting on her porn
0: yeah attire I love that. her
1: porn face uh, and I just I think that page is phenomenal because it really does speak to the absurd lengths that women go through to uh, meet the convention of beauty. Right. It's insane. And I think really well orchestrated in this one page.
0: Yeah. And then while she's at the convention, she feels completely dehumanized Mm -hmm. by everybody coming up and and talking to her and asking her to spit on him or asking. Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's just, it's ridiculous.
1: And she sees Sexual Gary, the one time teen heartthrob that had a poster on Susie's teenage bedroom wall Mm -hmm. and apparently he and anna have a relationship and he's a real scumbag
0: (laughs) right but she does end up making a huge stack of cash but as soon as she's done we figure out who the him is that she's trying not to think about it's doc glass yeah she gives him a call and uh, and the first question she asks is did you really read my paper
1: and he says yeah And then they have a relationship. They start to be boyfriend, girlfriend, kinda.
0: Yeah, I like that they acknowledge that uh, she doesn't know his name because (laughs) they went issues and issues without ever naming the doctor.
1: I always have to remind myself what Doc Glass's name is before we start this episode.
0: But Uh, like when she asks if he would like to go out with her he makes the sweetest little angel face it is so cute he
1: is stunned because she is a sex goddess of his youth yes and uh yeah this is going to be very challenging for him especially coming off of the weird relationship that he had with Myrtle Spurge and what that did to his psyche
0: I do think it's it's interesting to think about like when does being fetishized like go past being a compliment. Well,
1: that's directly what this relationship is speaking to.
0: Because, yeah, because Doc does respect her as an academic. But but he can't get that childhood
1: memory out.
0: He is still a fan of her her porn career, and she wants to make sure that Doc Glass isn't just into the person that she was when she was Jasmine St. Cocaine. But who she is now as Doctor Anna Kincaid, middle aged woman with a middle aged woman's body.
1: Yeah, but she's but a body that she still wants people to find attractive. Right. Yeah, it's very complicated, uh, and and I appreciate how Fraction and Zadarsky handle this relationship and where it goes.
0: Also, in this issue, we have Robert Rainbow gathering. All of Rochelle's things from his apartment, including a pair of hot pink panties and taking them to Rochelle's house and making the world's worst apology. It's so bad.
1: It's so uncomfortably bad.
0: He goes on this whole long thing about how, like, I'm timid. And because I'm timid, I occasionally become an asshole. That's his word, not my word. And, but I think that you're so wonderful and that's why I was being such a jerk. And then the scene ends with them kissing. I'm like, Rochelle, you are better than that. You should throw those getting some panties right back in his face. He
1: still has a long way to go to work out that childhood trauma of walking in on his parents uh, or walking in on his mother, pegging his dad.
0: <laughs> and I think that Rochelle Would do better for him to say like, well, that like you may we may end up back together, but that apology is not good enough.
1: But him acknowledging that little bit of self-loathing that is uh, attractive to her in the sense that he's being incredibly honest and she probably has not dated a lot of guys who are willing to um, wreck or acknowledge their faults.
0: To me, like, it's another one of those things, and it's, and because uh, Zdarsky and Fraction insert themselves into the comic so much, I can't help but be thinking about them as I'm reading this comic. Sure. To me, I'm wondering if they think that apology is good enough.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, maybe. It depends on where this relationship goes after this volume.
0: Yeah, well, alarm bells are going off. That's all I'm saying.
1: <laughs> okay. Then
0: uh- um, this issue ends with Susie going like I'm feeling objectified by all of these gifts you're giving me. Like at and first And she
1: brought Rochelle over to and to, they I'll opened the drawer, the drawer. And that's the cover of the volume itself uh, is Rochelle and Susie staring into the drawer and being a little horrified.
0: I am so curious what those gifts are cuz they make imagine- it sound like It's a lot of one thing, and we know that it is not lingerie. It's got to be
1: dildos, Lisa.
0: Yeah, but what kind of dildos? There are lots of kinds of dildos. And you think it's
1: like one specific dildo over and over and over and over again?
0: I think it must be, because whatever it is is additive, because what she feels like is like, it's one thing to try something new, but it's another thing to keep expressing to me that... You want me to be this, whatever Mm. this is with this added thing.
1: I think it's a dildo with one of those butt plug fork things.
0: To me, I think that it has to be something butt related. Because of all the butt stuff conversation. Yeah, but it can't be something that's for her pleasure because that's not how she like. You don't think so? No, because she's offended. She feels objectified by it. Well, of
1: course, it's it's he's doing. He's buying these things because he likes the idea of whatever it is. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the fork thing.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, I guess it's like up to our imaginations what it is. It's the fork thing. I think it's some kind of pegging situation. Uh,
1: I mean, it it could be
0: because that like when you're pegging someone, unless you have like a double sided situation, I imagine there's not a lot of pleasure for the pegger. I don't know. I mean, I'm just presuming cuz I'm not into that you, by you, the way.
1: You, right, right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I
0: don't know why it's so important for you to know that listeners that I'm not <laughs> I'm not even curious about pegging. I I can imagine it in my head and I'm not into it.
1: All right. Um, so, issue 19. <laughs> but
0: anyway, she and he goes like what I meant by the gifts is I'm trying to express my gratitude for you wanting me. Like and it's something that he's not used to because he doesn't even really want himself. Do you do you buy that excuse from mm, John?
1: I I think oftentimes John's thinking and not, or John's speaking and not even thinking clearly.
0: What that could possibly mean, right? But then she she did suspect because of all of these gifts that he was spending stolen money, and she was worried that he was stealing again. And he's like, I'll show you statements. I'm totally not, like, I have earned this money, perhaps doing theater, but perhaps not. (laughs) We certainly know he's not getting it from Jasmine St. Cocaine. Right. But she then um, goes like, well, I am so glad that we're not involved with Cagle Face again. I'm so glad that that is behind us. And he's like, yeah.
1: And then, boom, pop. How many, how many, why can't I ever say homunculi, homunculi, homunculi. The little man, many, many little men appear all around the bedroom.
0: Ugh, so creepy. Love it. The next issue starts with John and Susie going to track down Todd Brewbaker, and Susie is rightfully furious because clearly John has still been up to no good, up to no good, following like still going after the sex police and they have this conversation that i think comes up in a lot of relationship stories of is a lie of omission a real lie
1: the answer is yes and every writer knows that
0: <laughs> i don't know because i feel like esther perel would say like that like her whole thing about like talk is not the the entire Ave, like, it's not the only avenue to closeness. Mm-hmm. And one of Dan Savage's things that he says, like, it's a relationship, not a deposition. I think that, that you don't
1: have to share everything of yourself to your partner, that every individual is has entitled the right to, to yeah. a
0: private life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now,
1: I, I mean, yeah, okay, I agree with that. But in this case, when that lie of omission, is sneaking around your partner's back and, and endangering and them. endangering her, Lisa?
0: Yeah, well, to me, I think that this conversation doesn't even fit in this story mm. because in the the very last issue ended with him lying to her face, going like. I'm so, gl- her going like, I'm so glad we're not dealing with the sex police anymore. And, and he's going like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm glad that yeah. we're not doing that. Yeah,
1: so it's not really that conversation because clearly he's in the wrong. Right. Yeah, okay, okay. I agree with you.
0: Also in this issue, we see Alex at Badal Corp and Cooper Badal is giving some kind of presentation, but he directly calls her out and says like, in veiled terms, so the other people at the meeting wouldn't understand. Like, we're bigger than you, and you should not be messing with this. We'll crush you. Exactly, and she goes like, "Oh, I guess we don't have the option of staying out of the sex it's too police's late. way." They've ruined
1: it. So, Doug, we got to join up with John.
0: Yeah, so we owe John an apology.
1: Then, following that confrontation, we have the date between dave and anna and it's really adorable she's just rattling off all this information telling telling him all about herself and he's very quiet he's very reserved not really sharing anything in this situation
0: right and she calls him out for being a therapist in their conversation (laughs) and doing too much listening And, and uh She's like just tell me like what you are thinking and he opens up and does this long speech about how she both intimidates him and excites him intellectually and sexually and I love how like his his uh Speech balloons get so big that they start knocking over other restaurant patrons. Yeah, you patrons. Know, it's,
1: it's interesting. Our, like our relationship with the style of humor, the visual style of humor that's going on in *Sex Criminals*. Like, I, like I imagine the listener going, "Like, why do you love this weird fourth wall breaking and not the Taft uh, Hulk thing?" And I, you know, like some things work for me and some things don't. But yeah, I agree with you. This I scene is really delightful.
0: Their conversation ends with him like grabbing him by the tie and saying that was good and giving him a big deep kiss.
1: Yeah, and you go high five, Doc, and you. This is the couple we want. It's gonna work out great. Well, hold that thought, because John and Susie are crumbling. Yeah. Uh they are not speaking to each other while they're sharing meals. The the
0: Susie is specifically not speaking. I think that John is trying to keep the door open.
1: But they're becoming more and more distant within the same space, right? Right. And right. John goes out for a jog, and before he does that, he gets a letter from Todd Brubaker, and it's a suicide note. The wide wiener guy is offing himself.
0: And John tries to run after him, but he finds out, like, he he feels like it's he's too late, that um, Todd gets drunk, turns over his wiener truck... And he follows him to the hospital. And at the hospital, there's just a note that says, sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Susie's on a job interview. And this job interview ends with a question, are you willing to relocate? And yes, yes, I would be.
0: Yeah, and so that goes back to Susie's prerequisite for loving someone is being able to make plans together. And now she's making her own separate plans.
1: And the final page of the issue is Rochelle on the toilet, waiting for the results of a pregnancy test. And well, married. (laughs) The final issue of the volume begins with John and Susie needing to have the talk.
0: Yeah. They have simultaneously come to the conclusion that they can no longer be together, and John is processing what has happened with Brew Baker. Susie is going through their morning routine, and when they finally t- come together, it's the we need to talk
1: yeah. conversation.
0: Of course, because it's sex criminals, <laughs> they have some really hot breakup sex. But when they are both in the quiet, that's when they move apart, which I think is so heartbreaking. Susie starts packing her things. John immediately goes to Badal Corp and (laughs) wrecks the place.
1: Yeah. And little does he know that actually he entered the quiet with Cooper Badal because uh, his pals under the desk given him a blowjob.
0: Yeah. The bus driver guy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So Cooper Badal knows it's war. Right. Lisa, I got to ask, how did you feel about Susie and John finally splitting?
0: I was sad, but at the same time, I think that John lying about still being involved with the sex police was so egregious. And I like to me, I don't think I, I think that it was a big ask for Susie to say you can no longer be involved in this. I don't want to do it with you.
1: Sure. It's a logical extension of what's been going on in the narrative, right? But Lisa, when you finished this volume, you texted me that you were pretty mad, that you were upset. That,
0: oh, I was upset. I, yeah. I wouldn't say that I was, like, mad. It wasn't you like... You were
1: disappointed, wh- though.
0: I think that the exact words I texted you was, I'm bummed. Yeah. Like, sometimes things have to happen, and it's sad, but... I still think it was the right thing to do with their relationship. They were not functioning.
1: Yeah, and and I agree with that. Uh, but it is, it is like heartbreaking. It really is. Yeah. And it's funny because when we started that first volume, I wasn't sure how I felt about them as a couple, and now I'm super invested that they make it.
0: <laughs> right. I do think that it's interesting that the first thing that John does is go to Alex and Dewey and go like okay let's, let's go do this. yeah like finally once they're broken up he knows exactly what his plan is
1: right now while they're breaking up we also see some complicated feelings between doc glass and anna in the bedroom
0: right anna accuses him of well he's giving her head and she is not getting off and we know that it's hard for her to come because she has like that injury on her clitoral hood. And so she has a lack of sensitivity down there. But then she accuses him of having sex with the idea of her.
1: Which has got to be really hurtful.
0: I thought that that was straight up mean of her. I think that- she
1: might be right. She's probably Right. But it is very hurtful.
0: (laughs) I agree with her that there is too much emphasis in, like, new sexual relationships on orgasms. Where, like, when the the first couple of times you're with somebody, it's going to be awkward. But I think that, like, if they're going to continue having a sexual relationship, I think it's unfair of her to put this Paul (laughs) over of, well, like their relationship of going like, you have to wipe your mind of my entire porn career to get with me.
1: Yeah. And it, honestly, it's the beginning of the end of their relationship, right? Like, yeah. This is not going to last. This is not true love. This is not John and Susie.
0: I, I think it's an Anna problem, not a Doc problem.
1: Yeah. Although, you know, I think he also has issues because of Myrtle Spurge.
0: I do think uh, she does say something that relates to back to Esther Perel. And it's the idea of needing versus wanting. Like, and in the context of the book, Anna is saying, you don't want me to come. You need me to come. Uh uh And that is not sexy. Uh And Dr. Perel talks a lot about like, if you're in a codependent relationship and you need to have your feelings validated by, sex that's not going to turn your partner on it's what's going to turn your partner on is a desire to come together does that make sense it makes total sense yeah
1: uh closing out the issue we see that todd brubaker is alive and well he did not kill himself he's just on the run to Buntopolis.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> we also see Myrtle Spurge and the bus driver walking the same streets as John and Susie did earlier.
0: And bus driver, his feelings are a little bit hurt. And he's like, Cooper Badal is getting meaner and meaner all of the time. And I know you told me to go- not get emotionally involved. but Yeah,
1: so there's trouble in Sex Police Paradise. Mm-hmm. And John, yeah, meets up with Alex and Doug, and they form their plan for the next volume. And the issue ends with Rochelle and Susie having a tearful conversation because Rochelle's been trying to get a hold of Susie because of the results of the pregnancy test. and Susie hasn't been answering her phone
0: right. And we saw her clutching her abdomen and I th- I th- I think she ended up having an, an abortion. abortion, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she feels like if she and Robert were still in a relationship, that they may have had that child.
1: Yeah, and there's a loss there, and there's grief.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of grief there. And then Rochelle is like, Susie starts crying because of everything she's going through. And Rochelle is like, this is supposed to be my crying time. Like, how is it going with John? And she's like, sometimes people come apart. And that's how this volume ends. So sad. Yep,
1: yep, yep. Tune in next week to see how it goes for John and Susie. Uh, Lisa, that brings us to the portion of what have we learned about this couple? What can we apply to our own relationship? How's Esther Perel doing? What would she think of John and Susie at this point?
0: Where I think Dr. Perel would say, like, good love is not enough to keep a couple together. You also need that erotic element, that sexual element. I think that John and Susie story is that good sex is not enough to keep a couple together. Yeah, for sure. There has to be a meeting of the minds. There has to be a merging of goals and you have to see like you even if you're not making five-year plans together, you have to see a future where that other person is integral to your life. Sure.
1: It doesn't help that there's a war with the sex police in their life as well. <laughs>
0: that does complicate things. And I think that uh, Susie as well as Alex are a little bit naive to think like if we leave them alone, they'll leave us alone.
1: Yeah, for like, sure. That's clearly not, not gonna the work. case. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I wonder if in the next volume, John will feel vilified by Alex at least coming to like, John, you're right. We have to stop these people. And you now have carte blanche to mess with them and antagonize them all you want. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm super curious to see where the story goes. I I think to answer that question a little bit is John has self-loathing baked into him and he's always going to be a little antagonistic towards himself the way he's antagonistic towards everybody.
0: And I think that if he and John end up back together, there's going to have to be some I mean, He and Susie. He and Susie, sorry. Them getting back together, I think that there's going to have to be some acceptance of that on her part and more of a willingness to go like I understand that you have your private life and your private thoughts. And I'm not here to fix you. I'm just here to be with you.
1: Mm, mm. Well, I cannot wait to get to volume five.
0: Absolutely.
1: My final thought on this story is, well, it, it goes back to the goal list, right? Yeah. I do think that's a really interesting idea and a conversation worth having with your couple, with your couple, with your partner, uh, let me let me say this again.
0: Hey, we didn't go back when I said John, when I meant Susie. <laughs> okay,
1: okay, okay. Let's keep it a little, honest.
0: A little insight into <laughs> our editing. Brad uh, has his finger on the trigger.
1: But it, I, I think that's something that we could do. You know, as we said in this episode, it's, it's not in our nature necessarily. We kind of just... Uh, Uh, go along, get along, and, uh, you know, we could do a better job of being more proactive in our goal sets.
0: Oh, and coming up with, like, an end point and going, like, okay, whatever our steps... Yeah, to getting to that place. Yeah. I think that would be fun. And we could uh, get markers and poster yeah. board. And we
1: could uh, hold ourselves accountable with this podcast. And uh, we could talk about it next week, maybe.
0: Ooh. <laughs> are we going to do, like, are you going to take off my panties?
1: Uh, well, you know, this is PG-13, Lisa. Oh. We're trying to keep it PG-13 on this episode, so I can't talk about that. Well,
0: I'm wearing, I, I didn't say that I was wearing a very long flowing gown. So oh. I would still be completely covered.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. For next week, we're just going to move right on into volume five, which is titled Five Fingered Discount and collects issues 21 through 25. And this will be our final episode on sex criminals as volume six has yet to be written.
0: Yeah, get on that, fellas. Write them comics. (laughs) so let's wrap this up Brad all right where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you
1: you can find me on all social medias at mouthdork and pay particular attention to that account on Instagram and Twitter because we are going to Austin Texas to partake in the fantastic fest film festival Yeah. and we are going to be sharing all kinds of rad images from that event I am so excited it's my favorite time of the year this will be our third time Lisa
0: yes I'm so excited it's going to be wonderful
1: now Where can our listeners find you online?
0: I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. And you can commit to this podcast by following us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast, subscribing to us on Spotify, Podbean and iTunes. And while you're on iTunes. Yeah. Why not leave a sweet review and five stars? We'd really, really appreciate it. It helps the podcast.
1: Yeah, and you can contact us at cbccpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, keep your love tank full.
0: And your psychic rapport.
1: Open Doopy doopy. I might be short, but I'm so wide, so wide that I won't fit inside. Just take your time and gently. Soon inside your mouth I'll be. How's that? See, it's a pretty good song. I
0: do. It's completely tuneless the way you're singing (laughs) it. Yeah,
1: but I don't. I don't carry a (laughs) tune, Lisa. Uh, I might be wide, but I'm so wide. No, hold on. I might be short, but I'm so wide, so wide that I won't fit inside. Just take your time and gently soon inside your mouth I'll be. Wide wieners, wide wieners, stubby, jolly, full of mirth. Wide wieners, wide wieners. I'm not long, but I have girth. Wieners aren't one size fits all. Long, fat, short, bent, big or small. Just be cool and trust me, chum. I'm a wiener made for buns.
0: Doop, doop. Doop doop doop. How'd I do? You did great. Yeah.